If you have your Bibles with you, I want to begin by reading the resurrection story, and I want to do so from the book of Luke this morning, from Luke chapter 24. The story is probably fairly familiar to most of you, but I cannot talk about it without reading about it, and so I want to read the resurrection story. There's not really that much there. Here are the facts. John chapter, or Luke rather, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And Amanda made that wonderful little display there. The tomb, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. And when I had the privilege of being in Israel many years ago, probably the most meaningful experience was standing inside that garden tomb. This is where Jesus was, but he wasn't there. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you on Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This past Tuesday evening, we closed down, or we, we celebrated the end of our Awana program for this winter. And as is my usual habit, I had the privilege of speaking, of doing the devotional on the last evening, and, and I did it for the other club the night before. So I got this message ready that I paint with the sketchboard on watercolors, and it was a wonderful message. It was one that I, I'd never preached before, but it was a message that started out with Moses and Pharaoh in Egypt and how God had said to Pharaoh, told Moses to go to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh wouldn't, and so God put these ten plagues upon the Egyptians. And the very last plague would be the death of the firstborn. And remember how God instructed the Israelites that on the twilight of the 14th day of Nisan, which was their month, 
on the twilight of the 14th day of Nisan, they were to sacrifice a lamb, to cut its throat, to collect its blood. And they were to paint that blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of their houses, so that when the destroying angel would come, that he would see the blood and that he would pass over that house. That's where the word Passover came from. And it was a picture of Jesus who was to come. And at the time that Jesus was dying on the cross, the rest of Israel was cutting the throats of that little lamb, the Passover lamb. Jesus Christ died on Passover so that the angel of death would pass over us. And the headline on my message read, Nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood would do. It wouldn't do to put red paint on. It wouldn't do to put mud on. It wouldn't do anything else because only the blood would deliver them. Man, I was cooking. I had those little kids right there. And then I had this other, I painted this little word called sin on there. It says, all of us have this problem called sin. And it was a little horizontal bar, and I drew the vertical line, and I got the cross in there and painted out the word sin. And, and oh, we were doing good. And I said to the kids, you know what? I said, the good news is that Jesus died for us. He didn't stay there. He rose again. I said, that's the biggest thing that ever happened, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And some six-year-old pipes up and says, ah, oh, that's not very big. A six-year-old. And I think I handled it fairly well. But I was absolutely discombobulated. A six-year-old says, that's not very big. You know what? It's been bothering me ever since Tuesday. And, and the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, first of all, first, my first, well, I won't tell you what my first thoughts were because they're not very churchy. <laughs> but how come, how come a six-year-old thinks that? Now, he's six years old, okay? So whatever's in his head comes out of his mouth. I mean, that's just the way six-year-old kids work. But... Can you, can you understand with me where this kid is coming from? In a six-year-old's world, the resurrection was long, long ago in a land far, far away, and it doesn't really have a whole lot of impact on his life. And if you compare that with everything that the six-year-old has seen on TV and movies already, and then you compare that with wars and earthquakes and forest fires and tsunamis and volcanoes and kids who have sick and who died and losing your grandparents and family breakups and car accidents and famines and, and all the bloopers he's seen on TV, you name it. It's no wonder the kid says, well, that's not very big. I got to talk to that kid's parents and 
But I wonder sometimes if you and I as adults suffer from the same affliction. You see, we may intellectually agree with the concept that the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely huge, but practically speaking, does it have any impact on your life at all? Does it affect how you live? Does it make any difference on the way that you conduct yourself the rest of today or tomorrow? What about all the things that I've seen and done? You know, I have, I have seen some spectacular things. I have been privileged to do some really neat stuff. And so have you. You get on an airplane and, and 8 or 12 hours later you're on the other side of the world and, and we've seen things on TV about, about earthquakes and explosions and wars and, and everything else and somehow somebody raise, rising from the dead long, long ago in a land far away, one person rising from the dead maybe isn't such a big deal. Hmm. And yet, the reality is that Jesus' resurrection changes absolutely everything. How do I know that? Well, first of all, some people don't believe it. But the Bible says it's happened, and the Bible claims to be true, therefore it must have happened, which is a circular argument, which really doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. But the reality is that there is more evidence for the resurrection than just about for every other event in history. A professor by the name of Dr. Greenleaf who taught at Harvard Law School said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just about any other event in history. Now, I can't prove it to you scientifically. Scientifically says I have to go back and repeat that. I can't prove it to you scientifically. I can scientifically prove to you that water is made up of hydrogen and oxygen because I can take water apart and separate it in those two elements. I've done it. But I can't go back and scientifically prove that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't have scientific evidence, but we have what is called forensic evidence. Evidence that will stand up in any court of law anywhere in this world. The testimony of over 500 witnesses who saw Jesus rise from the dead, or, or after he had risen from the dead. Billy Graham said there is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. And so I'm not going to try and convince you of the fact 
of the resurrection. There are people today, there are people who claim to be Christians who do not believe that Jesus literally, physically, actually rose from the dead. But he did. Because if he didn't, this whole house of cards falls apart. Now, how significant is that? If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read 12 verses this morning. That's all there is in Luke. If you look at Matthew and Mark and John, there really isn't a whole lot more information. And so you ask yourself, well, if it's really that big, how come it only gets such little space? But if you look at other passages, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It is one of the pivotal passages on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, Paul, who is the guy that wrote that letter to the Corinthians, in verse 3 he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, this is primary. This is most important. And here is the facts. What I received I pass on to you as first importance. Number one, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living at the time this letter was written. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Was it really that big? It's huge. It's of first importance according to the Scripture. Verse 17 says that the resurrection authenticates our faith. The Bible says if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And so if the resurrection it is, is at all questionable, if there is any question about it, if it, can be, if it can be disproven in any way, then what we're doing, we're the biggest bunch of stoopy-doops that ever existed. We may as well throw our Bibles in the trash, leave this building, light the place on fire, and walk on out of here. Because what we're doing is absolutely futile. If the resurrection is real, it gives us hope beyond death. Verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, those who have died. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But the resurrection destroys death. And all of Christianity, totally all of it, stands or falls on the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of our hope, all of our teaching, all of our preaching, our singing, our missions, our social programs, evangelism, soul winning, everything we've ever said or done in the name of Christ or Christianity, our churches, church attendance, church involvement, all our suffering, our death and martyrdom, if all of that if the resurrection isn't real, all of that is totally, completely, wholly, 100% useless. It's a sham. And if the resurrection of Jesus was not a literal, physical, historical fact, like I said, we need to throw our Bibles in the trash, leave this building, burn it down, ask for a refund of our money, shut down the Bible colleges, go home and live and die like animals, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. 
if the resurrection didn't happen. But if it did, if it did, it changes life completely. You see, it verifies everything that Jesus said. Because Jesus was either telling the truth when he spoke, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. If you only believe some of what he said, then the rest is a lie. If you said, well, he didn't know what he was talking about, then he's a lunatic. But if he's neither of those two, then he's Lord. And you need to decide. You've got to pick one. You see, he can't be Lord and a liar. He can't be Lord and a lunatic. You've got to pick one. And if the resurrection is true, it verifies everything Jesus said. It means we need to adhere to his teachings. Things like love and faithfulness and purity and priorities and forgiveness and grace and morality and marriage and right and wrong. You can't pick and choose. Some of you like to go cherry picking. You know what cherry picking is? That's when you look through the flyers that you get in your mailbox and, and you go to one store and you pick up the sale items there and then you go to another store and pick up the sale items there and you go to a third store and you pick up the sale items there. When it comes to Jesus, you can't cherry pick. It's all or nothing. You can't pick the things you like and toss out the things you don't like. And when it comes to Christianity, majority doesn't rule and the courts don't decide. It verifies his claims to divinity. It verifies Jesus' view of the Old Testament. People like Job and Jonah and creation and Moses and the prophets and his history and Israel. And it verifies everything Jesus said about the future. It verifies if the resurrection was real. It verifies absolutely everything Jesus ever said about heaven and hell and eternity and how to get there. It validates the apostles and the rest of the Bible, especially relating to the future and end times and God's sovereignty over nature and nations and history. If the resurrection is real, it places biblical authority over the will of human beings. There is such a thing as absolute truth and authority, and the responsibility is ours to follow it. If the resurrection is true, it invalidates every single other religion and God concept in the world because if the resurrection isn't true, then all God concepts need to be thrown out and we need to embrace humanism. And if the resurrection is true, then it totally changes my views on every circumstance in my life. You see? The resurrection changes everything. The human reality says that I'm at the center of my universe. And you're at the center of your universe. And life revolves around you. And when you're in pain, that's a natural concept. And when one part of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers along with us. And the reality is, when I live, when I'm in pain, I tend to live in a very small world. And it's all about me. But it changes my view on physical pain. It changes my view on disability and disease or and aging or accidents, whether it's my own or whether it's someone I care about. You see, Jesus carries me. 
And sometimes he drags me kicking and screaming, but I know because Jesus rose from the dead, I know this life won't last forever. And I know that I'm going to get old and die. And I hope to get old, I mean, I hope to die before I get debilitated, but that's not my decision to make. And so it's not my goal to try and see how long I can live. It's my goal to try and get to heaven. If to live is Christ and to die is gain, I don't need to be worried about death. Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Why wouldn't I want to hang around here if there's something better that's waiting for me? Remember that old beater truck that I used to drive, some of you? You know, that 1970 GMC with the holes in the floor and, uh, and everything else? You know, you were so proud of me when I drove that thing down the street. Remember that? Seven years I drove that piece of junk. Not because I had to, but because I could. I was defiantly obstinate. And I finally got rid of it. I stuck Dylan with it. That's right. And then you stuck your dad with it, right? And he stuck your uncle with it, right? Yeah, something like that. You know, after I traded that old, I mean, GMC, you know, four, four on the floor, six-cylinder, and you know, going down. That was my chick magnet, that truck. <laughs> Ask my wife how well that worked. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever ride in that thing, hon? Yeah? Once or twice? Yeah. But you know, after I, I got rid of that thing, good night, microphone's giving me grief here. After I got rid of the thing and I bought a <coughs> Dodge. <laughs> I don't drive that anymore either, so. But after I got rid of that thing, one of the questions that I asked myself was this Why did you drive that piece of junk for as long as you did? You know, and, and I think when we get to heaven, we're going to ask ourselves, why did I drive that piece of junk for as long as I did? Like, why couldn't I wait to get here? Like, like, come on. It changes absolutely everything. You see, this life won't last forever. And the Bible tells me that he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more, no more pain. The resurrection changes my emotional pain. Whether my marriage falls apart, whether my children don't talk to me, whether relationships fall apart, whether there's mental illness, whether there's abuse, whether my self-worth goes down the toilet, whether work sucks, or home, or friends, because Jesus never fails. I know that no matter what happens, Jesus will care. He always carries, and I know this world is not my home. Friday morning before I went to the to the church service, I went back and I, I read the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what? Out of those 12 guys that were with him, every single one failed him. Every single one. Judas betrayed him and went and killed himself. Peter denied him, but they all ran. 
They all ran. John was there when Jesus died. He was the only one. I don't know where the rest of them were. They chickened out. More worried about themselves than about their Lord and Savior. The good news is Jesus forgave. There is always forgiveness. There is always restoration. There is always hope for the person who messes up. Jesus will never say to you, you've messed up one too many times. That's it. I'm done with you. There is always hope for the one who comes home. And in my spiritual life, Jesus offers me forgiveness and healing and wholeness, and it takes the focus off me and my little world, and it puts it on Christ and others. And whatever mess I've made or whatever mess I find myself in, there is someone who is bigger and better and stronger than I am who will care, carry, support, and take care of it for me and take care of me in the meantime. You see, if it's only for this life that I have hope in Christ, I have no hope at all. But I know there's another world waiting. I know there is something far better that Jesus has for me. And when I get there, I'm going to say, why did I drive that beater that long as I did? Should have been here years ago. And I can't wait for Jesus to come back and straighten it out and straighten me out. Because the resurrection changes absolutely everything. And in spite of what that six-year-old said, when he said, that's not very big, you know what? I'll take that over anything else that this world has to offer. I'll take that over anything else that this world can throw at me. I'll take that over any pleasure, over any thrill, over any health, over whatever else. And I'm going to say, Jesus, you know what? Yeah, my eggs are in that basket. And I can't wait to see what's next. I may not like it. And sometimes Jesus drags me instead of carries me. And sometimes I'm kicking and screaming and protesting and saying, I don't like it. But you know what? I know it's going to be okay. Because the resurrection changes absolutely everything. And I still think, in spite of that six-year-old, and I'm going to dust his hiney one of these days. No, I'm not. In spite of that six-year-old telling me, oh, that's not very big. This is the very biggest thing that's ever happened. You know, the big, next bigger thing that's going to come hap happen is Jesus is going to come back and fix it. So there. So we're going to stand up and sing. Song number 381, wonderful song to sing uh, on an Easter Sunday. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, we're going to sing all four verses of this. How many are there, Lois? Four? Four, yeah. Okay, good. Let's sing. Oh, Father, amen. It's well with our souls, Lord, because you're in control. Jesus rose from the dead. No matter what this world throws at us, your power, your purposes will prevail. 
Lord, we express our faith in that. As we leave, leave this place, Lord, help us to leave with our heads held high to rejoice and for things to be indeed well with our soul. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a fantastic day. God bless you. We're dismissed.